Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Hope you are staying warm and safe. Be careful. Hard to hard to be outside in this weather, but I know you, a lot of you have to be taking care of livestock and other chores. Please be, be very careful. Well, coming up on today's program, we are going to talk um, about the markets. We're going to look ahead to this week's USDA Outlook Conference, which could uh, move the markets one way or the other. We'll talk with Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance. We're going to talk with the new president of the National Association of Conservation Districts and get his thoughts on goals for conservation work moving forward. And we're also going to talk with the USB director, United Soybean Board director, about uh, partnership to work on climate issues and how agriculture plays a role in that. All that coming up on today's program, but we start things off with an update on the news with Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, hope you're staying warm. Hey, good morning, Mike. Uh, I am. We're back in Missouri, so it's, uh, it's still coming down right now at about negative two, but I'd like to give a special shout out to all those with livestock that are in your listening areas because... We know that farming never stops, and uh, when you, especially when you have livestock that you have to take care of in these bitter cold conditions, you've got to be out there with them. Yep, it is rough and dangerous, so please be careful. Uh, let's take a look at uh, Congress this week. Uh, the the uh, the impeachment trials behind us. Where do we go from here? Well, that was certainly sucking a lot of the oxygen out of the uh, proverbial rooms, and especially in the Senate chamber and. As you know, Mike, uh, the uh, president was acquitted. Uh, there were seven Republicans that were uh, charging him with being guilty of inciting the riot. But now we're, we're past that. Uh, Democrats, I think, realized that calling witnesses was uh, maybe something that some of them wanted to do, but uh, they didn't have the votes to really accomplish much more than eating up a lot more time uh, over the weekend and this week. So uh, now they're out and uh, taking their break. And um, we will be watching carefully when they come back because they have finally got a here a, a vote scheduled for Tom Vilsack to be considered by the full Senate uh, to be Secretary of Agriculture, and that's set for February 23rd. So maybe we can get uh, somebody back at USDA to start uh, cranking the wheels up in full speed over there. Yep, that'll be next week, so we'll watch for that. I know a story that you're covering at AgriPulse, and I think is a fascinating story moving forward, and that is how farm states are continuing to lose clout with house redistricting coming up. And we've already seen a, a shift already, and fewer and fewer members, even of the House Ag Committee, with a real rural background. Well, absolutely, and I would encourage everybody to take a look at this story that's a feature on our site, as well as to pay attention to what's been happening with these new members on the House and Senate Ag Committee. It was very vivid in, in uh, my mind when I saw that Bobby Bush, <laughs> you know, a congressman from uh, urban Chicago, is now on the House Ag Committee uh, because there's fewer and fewer Democrats from rural areas. and. 
you know, a lot of folks have been talking about the need for bipartisanship in rural, uh, but we don't have as many Democrats representing those those districts anymore. So what you're seeing from the map on our site is that the uh, high-tax uh, states like New York and California are losing uh, members potentially as, as a result of redistricting, and states like Texas and Florida are gaining uh, we might also see a new member in one fairly rural state, and that is Montana. But uh, Minnesota is likely to lose. Illinois is likely to lose. Ohio, uh, you know, Michigan. So we're going to see continued changes. Uh, and there's a lot of ways this matters. Of course, fewer rural voices uh, being represented in Congress. And you might even see something like the district that Colin Peterson, the former chairman of the House Ag Committee, uh, his his district is now represented by Michelle Fishbach. That district may be gone altogether uh, by the time they, they go through this redistricting process. So, you know, there's a lot to stay in tune with and, and to remind your listeners that it's very, very important for farmers to build coalitions and to reach out to the members of Congress and educate them. Uh, maybe have them go out in some of this cold and look at some animals with them. Because as these new people come into these committees, new voices at the table, they have different agendas, they have different priorities, they have different issues that they're most concerned about. So that's going to be a change there. Now, we know there'll be another election next year that could change things all over again, but it's going to be very interesting come the writing of this next farm bill. Well, and absolutely, when you look at even members of the Senate Ag Committee, like Cory Booker from New Jersey is now there. He's got a, a strong animal rights agenda. He's uh, been very, very critical of the checkoffs. Uh, he is calling already for investigations into Tyson and how that they've been handling some of their workers and, and their sustainability pledges. So a lot more people will be questioning business as usual, so to speak, uh, in the ag communities. And I just think that, it, it, again, it's just going to be a lot different conversation than what we've seen in the past. For sure. And where does climate policy take us? We know that's going to be the big push that's already front and center, but where's that going to go and where does agriculture fit in? Well, certainly uh, Chairwoman Stabenow has made it very, very clear that she is all about voluntary incentive-based climate policies that can put more money in the pockets of farmers. The ranking member, John Bozeman, is not as uh, convinced that that is going to be the case. So you're already seeing some divisiveness between the two heads of the respective uh, sides of that committee. So uh, they're going to have to stay uh, in strong communication to see if they can do that. And a lot of it that we're going to be watching is the baseline, Mike. You know, if there's going to be additional money provided to do these climate practices and to compensate farmers, not only for their practices, but for access to their data, then that's going to be probably a win-win. But if the money is going to come out of existing programs and have to be transferred uh, out of some of the things that have traditionally been for commodity program payments, then that's a lot different math, and I think a lot of folks will be very concerned about that. Yeah, and you touched on something I think we're going to talk a lot about, a big challenge for agriculture. Coalition building has been important for some time, but it's going to be more important than ever because they're going to have to build coalitions with uh, people and ideas that maybe they have not uh, partnered up to in the past. 
Yes, and I mean, we're seeing a lot of this both on the climate front where you've seen groups like American Farm Bureau and National Council of Farmer Co-ops partner with Environmental Defense Fund, uh, Ducks Unlimited. I mean, there are a lot of different conservation and wildlife groups who want to work with agriculture because they see the progress that can be accomplished on the ground uh, from a private uh, incentive-based standpoint. And the more we can do that, the better. All right. Changing times for sure. Sarah, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. Great. Have a good week, Mike. Take care. Sarah Wyant, editor, president of AgriPulse Communications. United Soybean Board working on some of these issues. We'll get an update next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, with this push for EVs, could this bring about some kind of an alliance between the oil industry and the biofuels industry? Would you be in favor of something like that? What are your thoughts? We both make liquid fuels. EVs are going to cut into our market share. Why don't we join forces and fight off the EVs? But I think that's the wrong political calculation. I think EVs are going to increase no matter what. But their numbers are so minuscule, they're not going to take market share from us for years. If Biden and Congress are focused on policies to get to net zero emissions by 2050, we have more in common with EVs than we do with fossil fuels. We've got to be brave in this moment and resist the temptation to join forces with the refiners, build new political alliances that enable ethanol to, to grow in market share, even though overall fuel use will shrink. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. What kitchen gadget is so essential to food safety that no home should be without it? I'm registered dietitian nutritionist Toby Smithson. A food thermometer isn't just for meat and poultry. It will help you avoid food poisoning from egg dishes, casseroles, and leftovers by ensuring they're fully cooked by reaching a safe minimum internal temperature. Heat leftovers and casseroles to at least 165 degrees and egg dishes to at least 160 degrees. You'll find more food safety tips at homefoodsafety.org. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to separate. First, use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Raw meat should never touch food that won't be cooked. Then, always keep raw meat, poultry, seafood, and their juices away from other foods in the shopping cart. And store raw meat, poultry, and seafood in a container or on a plate in the fridge so juices won't drip on other foods. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. 
For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The Soybean Checkoff is helping support a study on sustainable ag tech investment. Let's talk about it now with Lynn Rorschach, a USB farmer leader from Illinois. Lynn, thank you for joining us. Tell us about this uh, effort. I mean, we were just talking on the previous segment about the importance of uh, working on these climate issues and agriculture, having a voice in them and being a part of this. This is a huge uh, uh, effort now underway and very important for the future of agriculture, isn't it? That is. That's very correct, Mike, and thank you for having me on this morning. And just basically the big thing is that those of us who are on also, I'm also, on the USFRA board, which is the U.S. Farmers and Ranchers in Action, and the United Soybean Board partners with them on several different initiatives and things, and has partnered with them on this and trying to find different ways and avenues and practices that farmers could apply and implement on their farming operations that can also help the environment a lot more than what um, we're already doing on our operations because each each farmer we want to leave our ground better than what it was when we um, had it for the next generation so the next generation has something um, better and more sustainable than the way we had it so that they can pass it on um, but basically as we were going through talking there was a lot of different meetings and um, different ways of having different farming groups and farmers and then also bringing in some other different companies and to get their ideas on what things we could do to be more sustainable in their um, ways and USFRA partnered with uh, businesses such as the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, the Mixing Bowl and the Karatin Institute and they just released a report and it's been quite a, a long process here a little over a year of going on and taking all this information in um, that we we had of what farmers are doing and and other things that industry would like to see and analyze the state of really the emerging soil health technology and then also the need for adapting um, climate smart technologies that can be commercialized with partnership funding from private sector investors to maybe help get some of these different practices going a little bit quicker and some really neat information that came out from this uh, study and report was that potentially by the year 2025 we could reduce greenhouse gas emissions by more than half so that's a really interesting fact and is, will, is beneficial to everyone and I thought the numbers with that was really interesting that it could go from 9.9 percent right now to 3.8 potentially and 2025 is just around the corner, so <laughs> that's a pretty neat uh, yeah. fact by uh, my state of, of mind. So this this is so important as we talk more and more about climate smart agriculture, because in the past there have been those who wanted to uh, to kind of. M- make agriculture out to be the villain or the culprit in this and it 
the narrative was more about what agriculture was doing to harm the environment. We've got to change that narrative and get people to, to see that agriculture uh, helps is part of the solution here, can reduce greenhouse gases, already is doing a lot of that now, and can do even more. That's correct. And there's so many things that we're already doing on our operations, and there's a lot of things that this report touches on that helps the environment, such as... Um, there's really six key real things that we really pinpointed on and a lot of farmers are already doing this. I know that my family's farm, we're doing several of these things on our operation already and have been such as no-till or reduced tillage to keep our nutrients and soil where it needs to be, um, applying cover crops to our ground um, in the fall so that during the winter time, um, we're helping to keep the soil there, but then also bringing in other nutrients there with that cover crop into that soil. Different crop rotations, which most farmers do different crop rotations, but um, just giving a highlight on that there could even be some different rotation variants that could be used. Um, then also some compost applications um, and then managing grazing. And then the last key of the really the six key things was an integrated crop and livestock systems and like I was saying my my family's operation we do several of these uh, different aspects on our own farm as well and then are also trying to um, continuously manage and our our soil so that we know what's going on and to make sure that we are that we are keeping our nutrients and things where they need to be and not over applying by any means of any certain um, nutrient or that as well, either to make sure that we have the healthiest soil to produce the healthiest crop. Um, We're talking with USB Director Lynn Rorschai. Lynn, there's a financial component to this as well. Uh, certainly, uh, there needs to be a financial incentive as well for farmers, but also needs uh, agriculture needs uh, financial partners to help make this happen, right? That needs that investment uh, to, to move this forward. That's correct. And a lot, some of these different aspects, they, they're not, they're not free and they're not cheap. So um, there needs to be, when with the farming climate right now, it's a little tougher. So it's always nice to have some financial backing from other investors or other avenues. Um, but it's also interesting though, that um, the, the report that we were um, that we had released that there's an analysis that there's 972 billion dollars in annual capital that flows um, from asset owners through asset classes and financial intermediaries to participants in the U.S. agricultural value chain, and that's really interesting to where there could be some ways for farmers and agriculture producers and ranchers to partner with some of these individuals and industry and that and that a lot of these primary funding sources um, including institutional investors where with that that segment alone there's around 600 billion dollars there um, and then with retail investors there's approximately 360 billion dollars in the US government and via federal and state payments and incentives, there's around 20 billion there. So there's a lot of different avenues and ways that we could try to partner to get some of these um, practices and um, things developed and implemented 
at a quicker rate as well. Um, and it also, it's also a, will help. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, it's important for agriculture to be involved in this. Uh, as you said, already they already are in many ways, farmers and ranchers are. But this is the direction things are going. This is where the push is going to be. And uh, it's important to be part of this process because it's going to go uh, anyway. And you'd rather be part as it's going along rather than have things forced upon you later. That is so correct. And as a farmer myself, I would much rather be at the table and have a voice and then also to understand where the other side is coming from and why they feel the way that they do. And then also to be able to be there to explain why we do some of the practices that we do and what is the need for that. And then how some of these other practices and things as they're implemented, what that would look like on a farmer's operation and how easily operations can be converted to adapt these practices or things that they would like to see farmers and ranchers adapt to their operations in the future. And it's, it's very crucial that the farmer and rancher is there at the table just so that all voices are heard, so they we feel like we've had a voice and we're part of the solution to making everything a more sustainable and uh, better environment. All right, Lynn, thank you very much for this update. This is a topic we're going to be talking a lot about moving forward and uh, wanted to let people know about uh, what is going on, the study that is out there, and the involvement of the United Soybean Board. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. That's Lynn Rorscheib, farmer leader from Illinois, director for the United Soybean Board. And again, uh, just huge topic. I mean, agriculture is already doing a lot of these things. Uh, it's important to speak up to make sure agriculture gets credit for this uh, and find ways to do even more moving forward and look at the economic incentives as well as the environmental incentives and benefits that are out there. Huge part of uh, where we're going in agriculture moving forward. So we'll talk a lot about these types of topics very much in the future. Well, we're talking a lot about the markets, of course. Uh, we got kind of this breather here before a huge week with the USDA Outlook Conference that now it seems like each year gets more and more relevance, uh, even if people don't necessarily agree with some of the projections they're making, especially as far as acres and things like that are concerned. But the markets will be reacting to them, that's for sure. We're going to talk about that with Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Carbon monoxide is a colorless, odorless gas that can be fatal. Don't use anything indoors that burns fuel, such as gasoline-powered generators, camp stoves and lanterns, or charcoal grills. Opening doors and windows or using fans isn't enough. 
Have your vents and chimneys checked to make sure water heater and gas furnace exhausts aren't blocked. If you feel sick, dizzy, or weak while using a generator, get to fresh air right away. From the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen with this market update. Not a lot to update with the markets here on this Monday as it is President's Day. The market trade is closed. Let's take a look back, though, at Friday's uh, grain and livestock trade. And over in the grain sector, it was a fairly mixed bag as we saw soybeans and wheat trade the day higher with cord futures trading just a little bit lower. A couple different factors played into the way the trade was on Friday. Two-sided action in corn. Things were just really quiet there. Beans and wheat were firm as uh, we saw that wheat, uh, trying to avoid the fourth straight lower close on Friday, did just that. Uh, but frigid below zero temperatures likely to cause some minor damage to Western Plains wheat without snow cover. We did see a few uh, small sales of old crop corn to Costa Rica and Guatemala on Friday, but that really didn't help the corn market much as it was down slightly on the session. Soybeans, on the other hand, just remain firm. China's off on their Lunar New Year here this week, and that could slow down our export pace uh, as we work into trade starting tomorrow. Now, early harvest of Brazilian beans so far showing some disappointing yields, that according to Ag Resource. Now, in the livestock sector, we did see triple-digit strength across the complex on Friday as it was a blessing and a slight disappointment. Futures market was higher in live feeder cattle and lean hogs, but the lack of participation in the cash market wasn't what feedlots had hoped for. Some final numbers from Friday. March corn down two and a quarter at 538 and three quarters. March beans up four and a half at 1372. March Chicago wheat up three and a quarter at 636 and three quarters. March Kansas City wheat up five and three quarters at 616 and three quarters. March Minneapolis spring wheat down a quarter penny at 616. In livestock, February live cattle up 187 at 117.20. March feeders up 170 at 140.85. April hogs up 95 at 85.20. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Should be another interesting week with markets after this holiday break as we get ready for the USDA Outlook Conference. Let's talk it over with Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Steve, good to talk with you again. This uh, Outlook Conference has kind of become like a, 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 a crop report unto itself now, hasn't it? 
Yeah, good morning, Mike. Uh, I hope everyone's staying warm. Yeah, it really has. I mean, this is in, this is the first time. Obviously, this has been virtual. A year ago, it was in person, um, and so that'll be a, you know that'll be something different as well. But you know, this this conference is a is a whole other set of USDA numbers that you know don't really get. They, they, they're not they're not officially re, you know um, released like you know the WASI numbers and acreage numbers and production numbers and they're released at this conference. So we get a bit of an update to the long term outlook. Um, you know that really we did see those numbers back in the late fall. So that's not a big number, but it does give us the first quarter peak at USDA's thinking for the 21-22 crop year. So it'll give us an acreage number. It'll give us some production numbers and, and you know, all the S&Ds around that. And I think, you know, the market is going to be looking at that to see, to give a little guidance in some ways because at this point we don't know. We're in this this lull between the January report and the March, you know, planning perspective number. Uh, the, there's not a lot going on right now other than the South American crop. And so the market needs something to kind of, digest and think about and contemplate and decide well which way do we need to go so this you know this this conference is good you know it's also a time this year's going to be difficult because people aren't there in person uh, but it's also a time the trade kind of sits and people talk about these numbers and think about them and and you have the mix of people in the trade people within academia people within usda people within the news media all get a chance to kind of be in the same place and talk about them. And unfortunately, that's not going to happen this year. So in addition to see is, you know, what that impact or how that change in venue, you know, gets to the marketplace. But it's a it's a really important conference. There's some great information there. It's an opportunity to really see what a lot of, you know, what I would say is the, uh, you know, the thinkers in the agriculture, what are they thinking about? What are they worried about? What are they concerned about? And where do they think agriculture is going? So it's it's an important conference every year but frustrating to farmers if it's viewed as a as bearish numbers and we see prices go down as as they yeah. say wait a minute we may not even have made our choice we may not have made all of our decisions yet on acres and already the yeah. markets are reacting like we have yeah and and it's it's a little bit frustrating because you know the acreage numbers we don't we really won't know that acreage number until we get to June let's be real honest about that the march number is you know, is a preliminary number. It's their intention. Let's remember that. It's perspective. It is not a final number because we have to get through spring weather, and we we don't have to look too back far and too far back in history to think about how Mother Nature really changed that number in 2019. So, markets markets react. We have to be ready for that. Um, and as I have talked to a, a number of farmers on both sides of the of the selling side. <laughs> And the buying side, if you think about, you know, people who are feeding cattle or hogs or, or chickens or poultry, um, you know, they're very concerned about right now. And so, you know, they're looking for an opportunity to extend some coverage, too. So, it, and that's the thing we have to remember both sides. It, this depends on what side of that table you're on, what those numbers mean to you. But we really won't know acreage until we really get to the June numbers and find out what it is. But it does provide a lot of volatility. It provides some opportunity for people to either market or to market their crops or at the same time, um, if you're a buyer, an opportunity to buy. So I think we have to remember there's two sides of that story as well. Yeah, basically the markets will be looking for information. This will give it to them uh, this week, so we'll see yep. how it goes. We're talking with Steve Nicholson Absolutely. with Robbo Agrofinance. Okay, uh, what's the latest you're hearing out of South America and their harvest? Yeah, I think a couple things that are interesting. Um, 
Generally, I would say when we think about the soybean crop, it's going to be a 130 million metric ton or greater crop. Um, we were talking to our analyst there on Friday, um, and she was saying that the 130 million metric tons, um, is it 133 like USDA has? I don't know. Um, you know, she's, I don't think she's quite in that camp yet, but she does think it will be a, above 130 million metric tons. So that's a record crop for them, regardless if that's below expectations. It is going to be a record crop, so they've got a lot of beans to to move. But we also we also have to remember, like here, I mean, I, this is I think a very important point. You know, they have, they had very low stocks, they had a very low pipeline, like we have here, and so that pipeline needs to be filled domestically as well. I think the other point that's really interesting is to watch that second crop of corn or safrina crop in, in Brazil. In talking with her on Friday. She was not in the camp where USDA is 109 million metric tons. She's at a she's a much much lower number. That that total Brazilian crop could be a lot closer to 103 million metric tons than 109 million metric tons. And so, if that's the case, <clears throat> there's six million metric tons there in the world that needs to, that needs someone needs to fill that hole. And when you think about where the big producers of corn in the world, uh, let's see. Let me think about that for two seconds. Oh, the United States. So, you know, that's going to be, uh, that's a really important milestone or something we need to watch for the South America, or you know, watch for the corn market here in the U.S. It could mean that our export business, our export reach, if you have it, will go deeper into the crop year than, we've, than we already think it is going to go. Um, and it definitely, if it's, not, if it's not a big crop in, South, in Brazil, uh, that just gives us that much more opportunity to export more corn to the global market and support prices where they are today, if not higher. Let's look ahead to our crop year as we wait to figure yeah. out the, the, how the acres will be. But we've been in a situation for several years where a big crop we just knew was going to drive down prices. Are we in a position now where a big U.S. crop this year doesn't necessarily drive down prices that much? I, yes. I think the quick answer to that is yes. I think that's true. Um, particularly when you look at beans. You, you, know, you know, USDA dropped to 120 million metric, um, or I'm sorry, 120 million bushels. Uh, I think that number will be lower before it's all said and done because you look at the export pace, it's not going to take much to, you know, to gobble up another 20, 25, even 30 million uh, bushels of, of beans. So you're going to have to get a huge bean crop with no hiccups to even, what should I say, crack the situation where you get a, a, a fairly, uh, where you get a fairly large ending stocks on beans. And I think that'll be difficult. Corn, I, I think is, I, I think is a little more difficult. Uh, to make the argument that you could make with beans, because we're we're at 1.5 you know million metric or billion bushel carryover. If we get a, a good sized corn crop, we are going to raise stocks this year, which will put you know a little will put some downward pressure on corn acres. Or I'm sorry, corn prices. But then we get in the whole cycle that we were in this year. Um, you have bean prices that are high, and corn does not cannot afford to lose more acres uh, to beans than we already have already. And so corn, you know, that whole complex is going to get supported until everybody's appetite gets satisfied. And that may take a couple years, a couple, three years. And we've, we've been in this cycle before, and I think that's where we are today. And, and not to mention that, you know, the demand is still there from China for corn, soybeans, wheat, you name it. Yeah, it's just amazing how the whole scenario yeah. has changed. Now, the question I've been asking a lot of analysts, I want to get your thoughts on yeah. this, as we try to project ahead and we, we'll see what USDA thinks would 
the acres numbers will be. But I've been looking for that line as far as kind of the over-under. If if it's above this number of acres, yeah. you know, price goes up. If it's below, I mean, price. Yeah. if it's below, price goes one way. If, it goes, if it's the other way, it goes up. What's your number? I've heard uh, 89. I've heard uh, 87. What are you thinking on corn and beans as far as acres numbers as a line that really moves the markets one way or another? Yeah, I think when you think about corn, I think when you, I think 90 million is in that number that area. I think you're pretty close in that 89, 90 million area. You get below that, and the corn market's going to be a lot tighter, a lot faster because mm-hmm. you, you know that million acres that starts to add up pretty quickly uh, to a, you know 200 million bushels that's just lost. And, you know, we can't afford that right now. If you start dipping that number below 1.5 to closer to 1.2 billion, carryover, that really ups the corn market. The bean market's a whole other situation. I don't think it takes much below, because I, I looked at the S&Ds early on with beans thinking, okay, let's, let's go we go to 88 million bushel, 88 million acres on beans, and you're not moving the needle at all when it comes to stocks. So I think if you don't get 88, 89 million acres of, of beans, then that moves the needle a lot on, on beans as well because your prospects of of actually growing stocks or at least maintaining the stocks we have now, although albeit low, is very, very difficult to achieve. So that's, you know, I think that number that, you know, anything in that you get below 88 on beans, it's going to be really, really, um, it's going to be, it's going to move the needle to the upside for sure on that. And that's why these acres projections, even though they are still projections this early on, because of the yep. tight stocks, th- those projections become more of market movers maybe than than usual. Right, and and that's the thing. I mean, you don't have we don't have much cushion, and and that's the thing that's different about the markets. You know, if we think about twenty years ago, you know, we needed the acres just to kind of keep things moving forward, but it didn't it didn't move the needle. But now because you have such huge demand bases globally um, and here in the United States, you know, you don't get the acres, you don't get the crop, that that cushion is gone instantaneously and provides a huge uptick uh, to markets because the markets are going, oh my gosh, we've got to do something now to make sure we have supply to get through the crop year that's coming ahead of us. So <clears throat> it does have a huge impact upon the markets and huge impact on, on both supply and demand. Yeah, it's a different ball game this year. We'll see what Absolutely. USDA comes out with this week. Thanks, Steve. Good to talk with you. Thanks, Mike. Good to talk to you. Stay warm. Take care. Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance. Up next, we'll talk with the new president of the National Association of Conservation Districts, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. 
it's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise. We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, joins us. So what do these 2020 numbers tell us when you have a record in pork exports and even though down some in beef, still finishing strong in the year? During a pandemic, what does that tell us? Despite all that, people are still eating, and we're seeing that in the numbers. Now, it's by no means business as usual. There is massive disruptions and a lot of shifts that had to go on. Retail is booming. E-commerce platforms are booming. And I think that's one of the positives we can take into 2021. We can build on the momentum at retail, the momentum on these e-commerce platforms. And you know what's going to happen in 2021? Over the course of the year, we're going to see tourism start to come back. We're going to see food service start to come back as well. And we are actually forecasting new records to be set on beef and pork for 2021 as well. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block, 
Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Happy to have with us the new president of the National Association of Conservation Districts, Michael Crowder. Michael, thank you for joining us. Tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and your background. Yeah, thank you for having me here uh, today, Mike. Um, I, my name is Michael Crowder. I'm the newly elected president for the National Association of Conservation Districts. Uh, my background is I'm a Midwest boy. I, I grew up in southern indiana got my degrees at purdue and moved moved west and now have a i have a couple thousand acre ranch in eastern washington and we're in a six to eight inch rainfall zone so it's quite a bit different than what how i grew up row crop farming in the, in the midwest well it gives you a perspective on the two really different areas of the country and uh, different challenges and uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, where we go with conservation with this new push with with climate policies and things like that what are your goals what are your priorities for this coming year well one of my big goals is is climate change as far as where the new administration is going with climate change how is it going to affect farmers ranchers foresters we want to make sure that we represent uh, those producers in the right way with the new administration make sure the upcoming farm bill will have those um, issues that's best in mind for for producers so that's where i see climate change coming Um, there's also a part of that is food security and insecurity Um, we all know that 2020 was a was a hard year and some of our markets um, some of our products didn't get to market and if we have food security you know it that's national security so that, that's important to all producers is that we have good markets and and free-flowing markets what we have seen historically on conservation programs uh, I think most people can uh, agree on on need out there and uh, some of the things that need to be done but how do you get there we've seen the public private partnerships be successful and get a lot done uh, but we've also seen a, a lack of funding uh, to get some things done that people would like to see done out on the land uh, do you see us uh, as we move forward now with these new policies and, and new goals by the administration and by Congress uh, maybe a uh, more funding, more support to get some of these things done. I do. I, you know, I don't have the crystal ball and know where those markets are going to take us. 
Is it going to be a government-type program? Is it going to be private? A combination of both is kind of where I would see it coming down right right now. But we're at we're at the beginning. Everybody seems to be want to want to be part of the, the the not just carbon sequestration sequestration, but the the environmental credit type market is is really gaining momentum right now, and especially when it's a priority with the with the uh, Biden administration. Yeah, we we see that could be a a great tool in the toolbox for farmers that not only is good for their bottom line, it's good for conservation work. So this could be an opening of a door to more conservation work. This may be a great opportunity for conservation districts across the country. Absolutely. Yeah, we we want to make sure that that uh, all of those markets, all of the, the government programs, anything that includes th- that type of conservation credit it involves the local districts. And it doesn't matter where you're at in the United States, there's there's a local conservation district. We have 3,000 districts in nearly every county in the U.S. and 17,000 supervisors, volunteer supervisors that are mostly producers themselves that volunteer their time to represent locally-led con- conservation. So uh, I absolutely think that this is going to help producers uh, with their bottom line and and put conservation on the ground. You know, the uh, term we use a lot right now, especially in agriculture, is having a seat at the table, a voice in the discussion. That's really going to be important for conservation districts. So uh, policymakers don't come in and throw everything out that's been working. Acknowledge what's been working and try to build on on those things moving forward. A- absolutely. You know, one of the one of the issues that that we'd faced with our partners at the Natural Resources Conservation Service at the federal level was there just wasn't enough manpower in some field offices. So we, we've worked with Congress, we've worked with the Secretary of Ag, we've worked with everybody to get that higher, direct hiring authority to get more bodies on the ground. We need those district conservationists, we, we need others at the NRCS and, and the districts. We, we just need bodies on the ground to help, help all of the need because there's a lot of money in the, in the current farm bill. There's great work being done. We just got to make sure all of those, those farm plans are implemented and then actually put on the ground. Well, Tom Vilsack, coming back to USDA, he certainly has a, a history of being a big supporter of conservation programs. Yeah, he does. And I have, I have not had the pleasure of working with uh, Secretary Vilsack yet. Um, I kind of, in my time in leadership, but I, I took over as president as WAC, or excuse me, NACD last, last Wednesday. And that evening I had, I had calls or texts from five former NRCS chiefs and two undersecretaries. So we do have a seat at the table and we do know what's going on and we do everything we can to represent that locally led conservation to make sure that not only the, the work that's on the ground, but it has to be economically feasible for those producers to want to do those those programs. Well, Michael, congratulations on uh, being uh, uh, elected president of the National Association of Conservation Districts. We wish you the best. Look forward to working with you this year. Thank you for your time, and I just appreciate you letting me be on, be on here, and it's quite an honor to represent all of those districts across the nation. So thank you for your time, Mike. 
Yeah, we're glad to help you get to get the message out. Thanks, Michael. Michael Crowder, president of the National Association of Conservation Districts. With that, we wrap it up for today. Tomorrow, we're going to take a closer look at this uh, winter weather system that has just gripped so much of the country. Dangerous conditions out there. Please be careful, be safe, and hope you'll join us again right here tomorrow on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.